This is the GPL Podcast, sponsored by Vintage Minnesota Hockey, your exclusive source for throwback Minnesota jerseys. Visit VintageMNHockey.com. Now, here's Hammy, Vigo, and your host, Jupiter. Good evening and welcome to the GPL Podcast, episode number 115. Well, boys, the season started last weekend up in Duluth, and uh, Hammy, sort of like you predicted, um, if they lose against Duluth, there's going to be a, a, a panic, and <laughs> and I love that you love the reactions from the people panicking on GPL and elsewhere about uh, the Gophers losing yet again the eighth time in a row. To the mighty Bulldogs of Minnesota Duluth. Well, I mean, I think it's, I understand part of it, but then at the same time, it's kind of like, okay, it's the first game of the year. And you kind of know that the players haven't really had full practices for very long. You kind of don't entirely know what to expect. I mean, even veteran teams under those circumstances don't always start out strong. Some teams, you know, we've seen some years where the Gophers are great out of the gates and then they fizzle and we've seen other years, you know, where it's not so great and then they continue to build momentum. So it's just, I just feel like you can't freak out about it too much in the first weekend. And I get it. It's sort of an in-state um, opponent. And do you want to always, I mean, we all want to win every game, but um, it's, you just don't know until the end of the season, which games are going to be more important than others from a non-conference perspective. And, We'll find out when it gets to be like March. Yeah, we will find out. But Viggs, this is starting to be not very funny for the players on the Gophers. Um, I don't think any of them have beaten Duluth. And is it uh, is it in their head now? Well, it's definitely in the head of some of the upperclassmen. Yeah, you talked to Tyler She after the game, and, and he said, you know, it's it sucks, and uh, numbers don't lie. They they're having a tough time with Duluth. And the problem with me is that in a lot of these big games it's the same types of mistakes. Uh, Liam Bristet talked about this today at availability that they have so many turnovers at the blue lines and that's what comes back to bite them every time in these big games. It's what bit them against UMD this last weekend. It's what beat, bit them against Notre Dame last year. Um, it's what bit them against Penn state. You know, this is a problem with this team is they just don't show the discipline sometimes to chip it deep and get in on their forecheck. And the coaches have been emphasizing that's what they want to do this year. That's the kind of team they want. And their first chance to do it, you know, and they shot a blank. Boy, did they come out flat, though, too. I mean, there was just no jump to the game, mistakes all over the place. Didn't Duluth uh, almost scored in the first minute, didn't they? (laughs) Well, I think what happened is you saw a couple defensemen who wanted to try to make a statement, and they stepped up on players uh, through the neutral zone and, and whiffed. And that gave Duluth opportunities to get some momentum. Then the Gophers take two kind of bad penalties, a stick penalty and a holding penalty, and go down five on three. They almost escape it, uh, but the last second goal gave Duluth a a lead, as they've had in the last eight games against Minnesota. Um, I I put it in my piece for the Athletic. It was over 330 minutes they've had a lead in the last eight games. Uh, The Gophers have had under 15. So it's just been a, a big disparity between the two and who's getting ahead yeah we goes a long way in college hockey 
Well, we, we talked about that with Bruce Siski this weekend when we were just after the game with him, how uh, he was talking about that as well. You know, it, it's not just that the Duluth is winning. They're leading the game most of the time. Like, what did you say, 300-some-odd minutes? Holy. 330 minutes on the last eight games, Duluth has had a lead against the Gophers. And when you're chasing the game that much, it, it makes it hard to be successful. Well, you were also, you know, talking with the players, and uh, how are they feeling about it? Well, I think they're frustrated. You know, they're they're all trying to say that it's a new year, it's a new team, it's a clean slate. But you know, the way they played and made their decisions, they were still trying to force something to happen. Um, and it took a little time for them to get used to the the officiating, I think, and and moving their feet against a, a pretty good Duluth team. You know, let's not kid ourselves. Duluth has a lot of talent, and they're hard to play against. Uh, Riley Tufty in front of the net, he's a handful. Um, so. You know, they met their match on Friday. It was, it was good to see them recover and play better on Saturday, but it was two different games for them. Boy, it was two different games. And, and Hammy, you talked about uh, some of the people kind of already going off on the on the first game of the season. Fire Lucia, all this <laughs> moronic stuff. But, Hammy, from the fans' perspective, it's, you know, it's eight straight against Minnesota Duluth, and that's not a laughing matter. Well, I mean, you don't like to lose any amount of games straight against any opponent. At least I don't. Um, You know, I know this won't be a popular opinion, but the reality for me is I don't look at Duluth as being any much more significant as an opponent out of conference than a lot of the other teams that we have out there. I mean, it just... I understand we have a history there. I understand to some extent there's that rivalry because of past WCHA and all that. But um, to me, it's like I, I don't look at that one game as being like so much more important than any other game during the year. I I, I honestly believe to UMD fans and the UMD, actually the team even, I think there is a certain level of they place a significant amount of importance on that game that maybe – right or wrong that isn't coming from our end of things and of course i want the players to match the intensity and and i want them to care about every game significantly but um i do feel like there there is a little bit of that element where maybe even as much as the players might say it's important to them i i almost wonder if it just means a little bit more to duluth to beat minnesota than vice versa well probably not a popular opinion but i think that's a reality. Yeah. But, but one thing though, uh, uh, Viggs is that, um, Duluth is, uh, quite possibly a team they could face at a regional <laughs> and a regional in uh, Sioux, uh, was it Sioux Falls this year? Um, I know they would love to put Minnesota, Minnesota Duluth there together. And, uh, you know, with the psychology of hockey players, you know, they haven't beaten Duluth yet. So that's already an advantage that Duluth will have if they face each other in a real important game. Yeah, I think the silver line there for me is the best line for the Gophers this weekend was what's been tagged, the RPM line, um, Reedy, Pitlick, Middlestad, and they were unfazed. I thought they played two really solid games, and you're hoping by the end of the year that those guys are, are probably one of your better groups of players. <clears throat> uh, Middlestad was really impressive this weekend. Um, Pitlick, I think, got bottled up a little bit on Friday, but he showed his speed again on Saturday. And I think they're going to be dynamic together. Well, let's and, talk. You know, you, oh, you get into a, a regional, 
sometimes one line is what you need to get you sparked. Well, that that is true, but I I'm I'm just trying to think psychologically. I mean, you've got that many losses in a row against a a team, and it, and it's it's gonna get in your head. And like you said, none of them have beaten Minnesota Duluth yet, so time will tell. Um, well, let's move on to the second game. We uh, the next game we had about three people show up to the to the Minnesota uh, Union game where Minnesota did win two to nothing. We, it did look a little better. They did seem a little more confident. And one thing that you and I talked about this weekend while we were up in Duluth. Thank you for bring, be, me being your guest, by the way, Viggs. Um, that was fun. It, well, it was fun. You were t- telling me, you know, it, so there's times where they just need to play smart. They don't have to make the big play. And uh, I would say they did that much more Saturday afternoon. That You know, it was obviously a different opponent. But, uh, you know, they didn't try to make that risky play that would cause a turnover at the blue line. It just seemed a little more solid play exactly what some of the mistakes they had been making against Duluth. Yeah, it's funny how the team can play so different from night to night. I think it helped that they had the lead and they were able to play that way. I, I look back to last year, that game against North Dakota where they were up 2 nothing, and, and then the third period, you know, they just choked the clock down. You know, they gained the blue line, gained the red line, got it deep. You know, two forwards got off. One of them stayed on to forecheck. And then he eventually got off when the line change was underway. You know, it's just smart hockey when you, you know, don't want to take any chances. And against Union, you know, time will tell how good they are, but they were, you know, a top 20 team. I think they're 16 in the preseason poll. You know, they just didn't let them get back in the game. Even when they took the penalty, uh, the five-minute major to Lindgren, they were still solid. They still played good discipline hockey, and they didn't let up the seam passes. So it was, it was a good, you know, Discipline to the system and performance on Saturday. Hammy, were you able to see the game on Saturday or even the Friday game? Did you uh, pay to watch NCHC TV? I did not. Uh, <laughs> I actually talked to a couple people that were up at the game, and then of course, uh, you know, read some of the recaps and whatever. So I watched the Periscope. Be, <laughs> I, yeah, I was not going to be paying uh, the NCHC for the rights to watch a couple games. So, um, you know, I think that one of the things we just need to realize, and I, sometimes I wonder if the coaches, I'm, I probably shouldn't question the coaches on it, but you Come know, on, there are some them. years where, you, well, there's some years where you have the players, especially on the blue line to play the style of, you know, that you really, really want to. I mean, Lucia's always had kind of that push the puck, you know, from the blue line, kind of be like the fourth forward, you know, that kind of a thing. And, you know, there's been some years where we've definitely had that, you know, back in the championship years, um, few years after that, you know, when then we have Mike Riley and I mean, we've had some of that, but then there are other years like this year, for instance, where we really don't have that really dynamic guy, you know, or a couple dynamic guys that can really carry the puck and create a lot of offense. And sometimes I wonder if the mentality amongst the players that, don't have that skill set is like I have to be that kind of a player because that's what's expected from the coaches you know I don't know but I do think that sometimes you kind of need to adjust your the way you play based on the talent you have out there instead of just saying well we're going to play the same way every year Um, and I just don't think that we have those kinds of horses on the blue line this year to be playing that style so for me it's more about playing the smart you know doing the smart thing being a little more conservative, just making that for good first pass to get out of the zone. Um, 
don't try to be do make the big flashy play, just kind of make the solid play. And I think that we kind of have seen that when we don't have the gun, the guns on the, the blue line to play that flashy style, that that's when the Gophers are more successful is when they have players that just play smart. And so hopefully um, we're not going to be taking as many chances this year from the blue line, because I just don't think we have those kinds of guys, or at least if we do, they're not young and they're young and not established enough to really do that on a consistent basis. Well, one thing that uh, Lucia did do on Saturday afternoon is uh, flop the lineups quite a bit. I mean, he didn't change the lines a lot, but he changed the order of the lines, Viggs. And now uh, you and I were out uh, out in Canal Park when uh, when the lineup came out, and you and you were you said to me, "Shots fired!" Kind of Lucia trying to send a message that uh, um, I'm going to put the guys up front who worked the hardest Friday night, and that's what he did. Yeah, he said after the game that the thing that surprised him most was how disappointing his returning forwards were. And it wasn't an accident that he listed Bristet, Novak, Sheehy at the bottom of the line chart for Saturday. You know, he wanted to send a message to those guys that, you know, there's a lot of other talented players up front this year. And, you know, if you're not going to compete hard enough, I'm going to send some messages. And uh, it was one of those weekends where I don't think he was able to shake up the lines just because of the limited amount of practice they've had. Uh, he wanted to get um, Joey Marooney in the lineup, and you know, unfortunately Brandon McManus didn't do anything deserved to get out of the lineup, but Lucia wanted to shake things up, and his upperclassmen responded with a better game on Saturday. But those guys, you know, Novak's coming back from the ACL injury, um, Sheehy's coming back from the back injury. You know, those guys maybe are a little slow, but they, they're going to have to compete, and Friday wasn't an easy game to compete in. Well, it's still pretty obvious that, that that fourth line does a lot of work out there, don't they, Hammy? I mean, you got guys like Romanco, you got guys like Ramsey. They're not going to score a lot of goals, but they are put out there in key situations, whether it's penalty kills, trying to slow the other team down, um, end of the game situations. These guys are are playing a lot more, uh, and maybe it was because the uh, the rest of them weren't playing that well. But the, that fourth line, or quote fourth line, is getting a lot of work. Yeah, well, and they did contribute offensively this they did. You know, against yeah. Duluth, and I mean, so you, you have to give them a little credit for that. I, I think that they're, you know, you you want that fourth line to eat up some minutes and give the top lines a breather, but also occasionally pitch in, you know, some goals here or there. I mean, when I think of the best Gopher teams, we always had kind of a fourth line that at least had some, you know, had a, the ability to score to a degree. I mean, they might not be first line guys, but they were going to contribute offensively over time and hopefully you know what we saw a little bit of this last weekend will be something that we'll be seeing on a continual basis uh throughout the season uh Viggs, what are your thoughts on Shearhorn's weekend i thought he did face a lot of shots friday night um he probably kept him in that game the first half of the game though the last goal probably a little soft it was a little a little bouncer off the, off the top of his pad and into the goal but uh, what do you think of Shearhorn's performance yeah, I thought overall he was pretty solid. You know, he made some some great saves in that first period to keep the game close and give his team a chance to to be in it and get to overtime. Um, you know, he said over the off season that he he worked really hard on his game. Uh, Lucia complimented him on his diligence this off season, working with goaltending coaches. I think he was working with Andy Kent and the, the mega goaltending crew uh, this summer, which was something he didn't do last summer. So he really was focused this year on getting himself to be a better goalie. And he does look calmer out there. Uh, 
Um, you know, he's, he's not moving around so much, uh, which is good for him. And then, you know, when he gets the breakaways, he's still real aggressive and shows this athletic ability. Uh, so I thought it was a good weekend for Shearhorn. It, it was a good start. Uh, um, you know, I think seeing the other goalie come in this year, Robson, you know, really motivated him to have a good year. So we'll, we'll see how it goes as it progresses. He's going to have a tough test this weekend with Penn State. He throws a lot of pucks to the net. Uh, it's a challenge for him to be calm and not give up any rebounds to them. Uh, any other observations from this weekend, Viggs? Any other kind of notes that you picked up while you were covering up there for the athletic? Um, I thought Tyler Nanny looked good on the power play. Uh, the big difference to me between Friday and Saturday was that the Gophers used their defensemen a lot more. Uh, I know that's something Lucia always harps on. You, know, you don't want to play three on five in the offensive zone. you got to figure out a way to use your defensemen. And I think that's going to be an emphasis for this team, even though they don't have the real dynamic guys back there. Um, you still got to use them in the offensive zone to, to open up some space. So I think that's something to look for. Nanny looks pretty confident on the puck for somebody who hasn't played for over 900 days between games. Uh, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how he does as the season goes along. Hopefully he doesn't tire out. Hopefully he's stored that energy. and Hopefully he stays healthy because uh, obviously he's had a rough go of it uh, with his health scare. So, um, Hammy, so basically bottom line, we shouldn't panic yet? <laughs> I wouldn't. First weekend of the year. Yeah. Uh, I would hope that people would have a little more patience than that. I would hope so too. I, I guess This so. isn't like missing the World Cup, Jube. Uh, don't get me started on that, man. Really, you just had to say that, didn't you? I had to because I, I was expecting Minnesota to play better on Friday. You know, I thought with all the veteran forwards, you know, they'd be ready for this game. They talked all week about playing a smart game, and then they go out in the first two minutes and <laughs> they play they play without a head for a while. So it was yeah. a little disappointing to see, but I, I was good to see that they rallied on Saturday. And um, you know, this team does have a lot of talent. It was it was, it was good to see Pitlick and Middlestad out there with Reedy. I thought they looked real good together. Well, let's talk about Middlestead. Um, you know, he obviously was a, a factor this weekend. I, I, I really don't recall what he did Friday night, but uh, he did have a goal. Uh, what goal and assist uh, on the Saturday game? Uh, he had an assist on Friday For assist and then on goal Friday. on Saturday. Okay, goal on Saturday. Yeah, it was it was a nice goal too. So him and Pitlick had a couple of nice goals. Um, but let's talk about Casey. It was his first weekend. It was his. Uh, his debut, I should say, in a hostile environment. At least Friday night was hostile. How do you think he did? Did he did he hold up pretty well? I think he held up pretty well. I think one of the things you'll see with Middlestad is how well he plays in tight spaces. You know, he's able to, to handle the puck with, with pressure on him. He's got that low panic point, and he's got really nice vision. You know, I think on the big ice at Mariucci, you're going to see him make a lot of great passes, uh, especially on the power play, uh, off the rush. Uh, so it's going to be an exciting season to see how he he puts up points. You know, I, I, people forget. You know, you know. Obviously, he's a scorer, but uh, he is quite the playmaker. And it's so far, even in, in exhibition and in, uh, I think that assist Friday night against Duluth, uh, he is quite the playmaker, Hammy. And we should expect a lot more from him on that. Yeah, I mean, it's like Vig said. I mean, you get him on the the open ice sheet at Mariucci with those. That fast skating, those quick hands. I mean, I know that we saw the one clip. I think Viggs, are you the one that recorded that clip at Mariucci, in the exhibition game? 
Yep, that was me. I, I was yeah. just figuring something special would happen on one of his first shifts. So I recorded the first two, and I was one for two on some magic. Yeah, so I mean, but I mean, I think that's just kind of an example of just the kind of skill set and the, just the things that he can do out there. And um, I would imagine as the season goes on, we're going to see some pretty special things from him. And um, I'm hoping that, you know, his performance will help raise the the game of some of the other guys around him to kind of try to match that kind of special play. Well, one of the things I noticed was on Pitlick's goal, you know, both Middlestad and Reedy were driving on the opposite sides of the ice. So that really kept the other checkers from getting to Pitlick. So that helped create the space for him to drive all the way past his defender and to the net. You know, those guys aren't doing that stuff, that hard work, that space is there for him. So it's nice to see those players already do that. I think it's it's a hard thing for hockey players sometimes to understand that, that you know while they might not be getting open for a pass, they're occupying a defender and creating space. And they, those guys already have that in their head, which is good to see. Well, if uh, you are listening live or even listening later on, you ever, ever have a question for us, just hop on Twitter and uh, use the hashtag GPL podcast. And we'll try to answer your questions during the podcast. Um, you know, last week was, we had a lot to talk about, so we uh, didn't get to much except towards the end there. But uh, our old friend Nate Wells, who was with us this weekend, wants to know the best beer at Hoops, Viggs. And uh, you guys had to drink so fast because they shut down. Did you get a chance to test the best, best beer at Hoops? Well, their IPA 48 is uh, pretty spectacular. Uh, Mike Hoops <laughs> has done a little a long shift at Fickers Brewing, and he knows how to do IPAs and that hard water from Lake Superior, and that IPA from there is quite tasty. <laughs> I preferred our drinking later that night when we were trying all different kinds of whiskey and just having a good time. That stuff's good, too. <laughs> I think you like the Larceny bourbon. That was that was good pretty choice. good. That, it was good. Thank you for introducing it to me. I'm definitely feeling good till 4 o'clock in the morning. A lot to break down. Duluth is always fun. You always have to stay up late in Duluth because it's just a it's a good time. Um, we have another question, but uh, it talks about kind of this weekend, so we'll get to that after after in a little bit. Um, well, first let's get to our sponsors, and then we'll talk about um, uh, Penn State coming in this weekend. VintageMN.com is a proud sponsor of the GPL podcast. Well, what is Vintage MN Hockey? Well. It's kind of the place to get all of your history of Minnesota hockey, from the pros to the minors, to the collegiate teams, to even the high school teams. All information about any of those teams can be found on VintageMNHockey.com. They also have great interviews with some historical Minnesota hockey figures like John Mayasich and Lou Nanny, Glenn Sonmore, some of the greats of Minnesota hockey. So make sure you check out those interviews. It's a really great thing. But as like I always say, I think my favorite part is the store. The store, you can buy a custom historical jersey from the Gophers or the Bulldogs or some of your favorite high school teams. And if you do make a purchase, just use the code GPLPODCAST, all one word, and you'll get 10% off your order. So make sure you visit VintageMNHockey.com and follow them on Twitter at VintageMNHockey. And thanks to Vintage for sponsoring us yet another season here. Well, boys, um, Penn State's coming to town. Last year, Minnesota did pretty well against Penn State until the final 
game they played them and lost in, in double overtime. But uh, a lot of expectations coming with Penn State this year, uh, Hammy. And uh, uh, this is a program that's it's growing really fast. And I think it's good for hockey that they're growing fast because it was because of them that this whole hockey scene was turned upside down. So I think it's good that they're um, becoming kind of a, a really good team pretty fast. Well, um, if you went back and listened to podcasts from a long time ago, <laughs> I, I said I always said that I thought that Penn State had a really good opportunity to be a, a big player in college hockey and to really make an impact because they obviously had the rank, they had the support, uh, the fans came out early um, in their program's history and clearly had a passion for things. And when you have all those kinds of, you know, variables, um, it's just a matter of time before you start bringing better talent in. And um, I think that that's kind of the direction that they're going to continue to head in. I think that there'll be a program that's going to be heard from, you know, on on a relatively consistent basis. I mean, it's hard to do that every single year, but um, I think that they'll be one of those teams that, uh, we'll certainly be contending for NCAA spots on a relatively consistent basis, um, given what they have built to this point. And uh, it's not a big surprise to me. And it's one of the reasons why I didn't have a huge issue with the Big Ten as far as um, early on and the way that it wasn't really kicking ass right away. It was like, well, you kind of have to, at least from a Penn State perspective, give them a little time. And of course, Wisconsin's going to turn it around with a new coaching staff and uh, Michigan will as well. So I think that, you know, all these teams are going to be headed in the right direction. And um, I, Penn state to me is not a big shock, not a shock at all. Well, we've got John uh, Candells. I think that's how you pronounce it. Wants to know, is this weekend a must sweep? Um, I don't know if that's the case. It's the first league weekend of the year. So I don't think that's truly the case, but I think what he's kind of getting at Viggs is that, uh, is this a must sweep just to show us that this team is as good as they should be? I don't feel like this weekend's a must sweep. I think it's a good chance for them to sweep just because I think their style play at Mariucci presents a big advantage over the style play Penn State plays. So I think from that perspective, it's a it's a big opportunity for a sweep, but I, I don't think it's a must sweep. I think when Michigan State comes to Mariucci, that's a must sweep. But Penn State's pretty good. You know, they went to the tournament last year. They've got some nice players on their roster. Uh, Smirnoff is a tricky player. They've got defensemen who like to get in the rush. You know, they're they're a team that can score goals. Uh, so, you know, as much as Gopher fans don't like to to face the fact, Penn State's a good team, and it's going to be a tough challenge for them. And like you guys said earlier, they do like to throw a lot of pucks on net. They might not be quality shots, but, you know, you throw a puck in, you get a good bounce, you get a good rebound, that's how you win and score. So, um, Hammy, that's that's going to be Penn State's M.O. this weekend. Throw pucks on the net, get rebounds, get dirty goals, and uh, they've been pretty successful over the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely kind of the style of play that they've become known for. I mean, even this last weekend, this first weekend of the year for them, I mean, they had 39 shots, 35 shots on goal. Um, a little so low I mean, for them. <laughs> yeah, for them. Yeah, exactly. It's probably even a little low for them. So um, we know that they're well, they were they were on the road. So oh yeah, yeah they're on the road. So uh, statisticians this time. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> if it wasn't within six feet of the the crease, it's not a it's a shot for Penn State apparently, and on home ice. But anyways, you know, I just think that that's just the style of play. It. 
you know, if we can get those pucks right away, you know, and kind of transition it, like I said earlier, just make the smart, you know, good first pass and kind of get the, the talented forwards, you know, headed in the right direction. Um, I think that, you know, it's going to be, a, it's a successful way of uh, counterpunching that kind of a game. So I think that uh, hopefully we'll have that from our defensemen this weekend. They'll be supporting one another in terms of team defense and transitioning when we do kind of collect the puck and go the other direction. Well, plus, you know, Viggs, I don't think that style of game works as very well on the big sheet of Mariucci. I mean, you dump it in, the goalie puts it over in the corner. That corner is much deeper than it is on a standard rink. It's much further away. It's a, it's a totally different game, and maybe that style just doesn't work so well at Mariucci. Metrics of uh, shots, and against St. Lawrence, they attempted 72. Oh, so if that if that tells you something, they attempted seventy against uh, Clarkson. So you know they're throwing pucks at the net. Uh, the Clarkson St. Lawrence scores probably just didn't mark it the way a Penn State score might. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that just shows you a little deeper into the, the stats that they they haven't changed at all. And uh, Shearhorn's going to have to be steady and you know not give up any rebounds when they do that because they're going to throw the puck and they're going to have bodies charging the net. Yeah, they are. They are. But overall, how do you think? I mean, this is an important weekend. It is a league weekend. This is a team you're not going to see until the very last weekend of the year. So I do think it is important that they make a statement. Like, you know, if it's either a win and a tie, I think, or a sweep, that's what they really need. They need to They need to get ahead of the game. I mean, um, it's, a, it's a different, well, I, I it's a different it was- ball game this year. Yeah, I thought it was interesting talking to Leon Brissett today when we talked about managing the puck and, and turnovers. And he kind of, in the middle of his answer, he started saying, well, maybe we should be just you know playing you know simple, straight-ahead hockey early in the game and not put ourselves at risk early. You mean what the you coaches know? have been telling them over and over and over? Right, because that's what the coaches are telling them. Yeah. And I think the players think that they need to carry the puck across the zone because that's their philosophy but especially early in the game especially against Penn State you'd like to see Minnesota come out and play a conservative 10 minutes aggressive hard set the tone and maybe capitalize off of Penn State's mistakes and I think that game plan is going to pay off for this team down the road if they can get it through their heads that that's that's a good way to play Um, Leon Bristet always asks why that's one of the great things about him is you know he wants to know and understand why he's doing things, just not how he's doing things or what he's doing. Um, and if they can figure that out as a team collectively during the year, they're going to be in better shape when they play in the tournament. And that's what's killed them lately: is these big games they get into them and they don't play a smart style of hockey. So, what do you think? What's your prediction on the weekend, then, Hammy? Is it a good weekend or is it a bad weekend? Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of like I said earlier, it's kind of hard sometimes early in the season to predict. Um, I guess my hope is, is being on home ice and hopefully getting some of the, you know, that first week, those that first series kind of getting it that off of uh, your shoulder and, you know, just kind of moving forward in terms of feeling like you're going to um, learn from that experience. And hopefully some of the veteran guys will kind of shake off a little bit of the rust and, um, contribute, you know, immediately rather than having it be kind of a, a committee situation and having them get punished in the second game. 
Um, so I, I do feel like it's going to be like a three-point weekend, maybe a, a win and a tie. I would suspect that um, I'm not comfortable predicting sweeps early in the year just because it's just, like I said, hard to know what uh, what we're going to see. What do you think, Viggs? I think they're going to get at least three points out of the weekend. Uh, Minnesota well, remember, guys, points are different now. just plays better to their game. It is a possible six points, so you think they're only going to be a, a split, huh? Yep. Man, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is this is a team that, you know, has some new pieces, and they're playing against a team that's really going to force the game into your face like Duluth did. So, you know, you get those back-to-back nights where, you know, you might not have a consistent performance. Um, and Penn State's not a pushover. They're going to come with a chip on their shoulder. You know, last last year they came out, and I think they gave up five in each game at Mariucci. Don't know if that's going to happen this weekend. Mm-hmm. So I guess I have to say, Sunday I got to say four out of six points then, Juke. Okay, well, that's better. That's <laughs> if we're going to go officially, like, we'll go – I can't go old school with the three yeah. points. So yeah, I, yeah, I know. Okay. It, it's tough to remember that because it's so goofy. Um, Tim Hapke wants to know, uh, it appears Lucia doesn't like the Penn State coach very much. Is that true? Do we know anything about that, Hammy? I haven't heard anything right. specifically about that. I don't know if there's some kind of behind-the-scenes history there or not. I don't I don't imagine that they'd be crossing paths too often in certain ways. and um, So I, I haven't heard that, but I guess, you know, it's not that it's totally out of the realm of possibility. I know uh, certain coaches have issues with other coaches just because – there's a personality conflict or whatever. So it's possible. Who knows? Well, he may not have a problem with the, you know, with the Penn state coach, but uh, Viggs, we do know that a lot of the NCHC coaches have a problem with the big 10 coaches. And a lot of it is recruit is related to recruiting practices. And I know you've talked, you, you were at the NCHC media day and uh, you had some good talk with some, a lot of people there, didn't you? Yeah, I tried to, you know, take the temperature of all the coaches from the NCHC about how they feel about, you know, early recruiting, how they feel about the gentleman's agreement, and how they feel about delayed enrollment. And and they do certainly feel like the Big Ten is throwing its weight around because the Big Ten has a big voice when they set rules like that with the NCAA because those institutions have a lot of power there, um, whereas some of the other schools, you know, like Denver, uh, CC St. Cloud have very little voice in those groups. So which way the Big Ten goes, a lot of those other leagues are going to follow. And I don't think the NCHC coaches like that. Uh, they feel like you know the Big Ten isn't respecting gentlemen's agreement. I think Wisconsin got another verbal today from a from a player, and that puts them at like 30, 33, 32 maybe on their verbal commit list. Uh, and so I think that rubs a lot of coaches the wrong way. Um, they think that the Big Ten's trying to get the best to both worlds and is making things difficult by having their new conference and forcing college hockey to change. And so there's definitely some animosity there. Well, there's animosity and then there's also controversy. And uh, Hammy, recently um, a lot has been talked about some of the, the young verbals that are happening in college hockey and specifically with Minnesota recently. We had some some very young kids um, verbally commit to Minnesota. And, uh, you know, a lot has been talked about with this, about the, the whole how how young are we going to recruit these kids and 
how long are they going to be in the hopper before they get to actually play for the school? Um, it's it's getting a little tenuous out there with the you know how people feel about this. Well, I think the first thing that we all have to realize is that the Gophers just happen to be the winner of the sweepstakes. It's not <laughs> like they were the only one on the you know. True. It's not like they were out True. on an island. You know, these kids were getting offers, you know, from a lot of different places. So it's not a matter of just one school going rogue and everybody else shaking their head at them. I mean, there were, you know, pretty much the schools that you would all imagine would be trying to get these kids were trying to get them. And so I think that maybe sometimes people, you know, because the winner gets them and you know that they were the obvious ones that offered, they, they don't entirely realize how many other schools were in the hunt trying to do the exact same thing. And so it's a little hypocritical to get overly, you know, harsh on what the Gophers are doing when a lot of these other schools are doing the exact same thing. It just, they're not the ones winning in this specific instance. So, uh, um, you know, there's, there's not one specific reason why these early, you know, commits happen. I mean, I think it's, uh, a variety of different reasons that are contributing. I, we've talked about the gentleman's agreement in the past. I think that created almost like a race to the bottom for certain coaches where it's like you want to get those kids locked in as soon as you possibly can because then you're locking out all the other opportunities out there. Um, if you get a kid who's, let's say, 15 years old on a recruiting visit and maybe it's early in the process for that kid and, and you're like, okay, here's your offer, you got you got two weeks to make up your mind. Otherwise, we got to go another direction. Well, when you're a 15 year old kid and you don't totally know what's going to be what else is going to be out there, you might have little ideas here or there. You're probably likely to take that, even if it's not even the best option you might have. And then you have this gentleman's agreement, and everybody else is locked out. And to me, but are they the gentlemen's? Really? What's that? But are they really locked out? The other teams, well, <laughs> they're not just, as much now because yeah. more and more of them are are saying the hell with it. You know, yes. I'm not going to play that game anymore. This is not a specific rule by the NCAA's, and um, so yeah. But uh, in the past, that's how it was, and and um, it, it became a race to get commits, and then it doesn't benefit the gentleman's agreement doesn't really benefit anybody other than a percentage of college hockey coaches. It definitely doesn't benefit the best, you know, the programs with a lot of the recruiting might, you know, the, the Boston colleges, the Michigans, the Minnesotas, you know, the, the, the UMDs, the, the UNDs. It doesn't really benefit those schools as much as it does other schools because, you know, you're going to have that opportunity, that recruiting might, you can swing that around and you're not afraid of losing commits because, you're just not going to tend to lose them to other schools. And um, it doesn't benefit the recruits because the recruits, especially if they've committed young, they don't have a freaking idea what their options really are. And I've said this before, if you're a kid or if you're a coach, excuse me, that feels really confident in his sales pitch about his program, I've got the best program for you, kid. I got a great staff for you. We got great opportunities. We got a great education for you. If you're that confident, and what you're offering a kid, what do you have to fear in keeping the options open elsewhere to, to let other schools make their pitch? If you're so convinced you got the best program, then lay it out there and let the kid listen to other options. 
But these coaches don't want to because they know that there are other options out there that are better than their program, and they don't want the kid to know about it. That's what the gentleman's agreement is all about. It's about protecting your turf from other schools. It's not about the kid, and it's not about, you know, oh, let's just be fair with one another. It's protecting turf. That's what it's about. And I, I think it's also about protecting time because in, in college football, you have these huge staffs and you have these recruiting coordinators. In hockey, you know, you have your three full-time coaches and then you have, you know, a, a hockey ops guy, a video guy, and a goalie guy who are kind of secondary staff guy who aren't coaching. So I think that's part of it too with hockey is why it's maybe a little bit different. You know, I, I think that the only legal thing holding up coaches from recruiting guys is the national letter of intent. And I think that's going to be what's going to happen with college hockey is you're going to hear coaches, you know, chasing the bushes a little bit, finding out how firm these commitments are. Well, you also have to remember, though, that college hockey coaches don't have to recruit 25 guys a year like they do on football. I mean, they're recruiting, you know, they might get a recruiting class of six guys, maybe eight guys, maybe a few less some years, a few more other years. And yes, they're still having to talk about the pipeline, you know, that are coming after that. But it is a little different in that sense. So I, I don't really think that the numbers game is necessarily why college hockey is different. I think sometimes people try to use the whole Canadian juniors, you know, that threat is if like that's, you know, oh, we got to make our pitch at 15 because if we don't, then all these kids are going to go north of the border to play major junior hockey. And to me, it's like, first of all, it's bullshit because that was not the case a long time ago. Um, and secondly, a lot of these kids are going to, that are going to, if they were going to go to major junior, they were going to do it one way or the other. Anyway, if they have a college hockey commitment, a lot of times they're just trying to game the system and avoid playing for a certain school or excuse me, a certain program up in Canada. And so it's like, well, I'll have the threat of college hockey in my back pocket so I can manipulate the system to go where I want to go. So that's another excuse that just doesn't wash. If, if there are kids that are going to, if that's a big deal, let the kids go. There's only going to be a small handful of them that go up there anyway. Let them go. I would rather have an age limit, you know, 16, 17 years old. And if some of these kids at 15 go north of the border, so be it. Well, I know you talked to a lot of people over there at NCHC. And um, should we have some rules? How young is too young? I mean, well, one of the big things I heard from the NCHC coaches is because of the way hockey is structured, there is so much contact between coaches and players all the way through up. You know, at the model camp, you know, the, a lot of the best players from Minnesota are going to be on the University of Minnesota campus, and there's seminars and things where they talk to the Gopher coaching staff. You know, stuff like that's going to happen. You know, there's the select 15s. You know, they're going to bring in college coaches to, to talk to kids. Um, so that's a piece of the puzzle that makes it hard to legislate. And maybe you're better off, you know, putting out some limits on when you can offer the scholarship percentages and, and get that verbal agreement. But it's going to be hard to cut off contact between these college coaches and players, uh, regardless of what age you put it at. You know, the other thing they talk about is what can you do on an unofficial visit you know, can you take a, a guided tour by the coaching staff or can you just take the general tour that any interested student would take? 
you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, they might try to legislate like that. Um, you know, the number of games they can invite players to and give tickets to, uh, that's another thing that they might talk about. Um, but a lot of NCHC people don't want to put rules on it because there's so many ways around them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting topic and we'll, we'll keep seeing. I mean, I know some coaches and some people say it's, you know, we're recruiting 13 and 14 year olds. These, these, these kids have not even hit their growth spurt yet. I mean, there's just a, a lot of iffy things and then it ends up affecting things further down the line. I mean, you know, all of a sudden maybe this kid doesn't uh, develop as quickly and then all of a sudden you have to do the, to delay his, you know, his incoming in, in the school. So it, I think that's where a lot of the frustration is too. And I think you're going to see that in college hockey become more of an issue. Um, the NCAA sent out a compliance reminder to schools that you can't push back kids if you don't have the financial aid that you've committed to them available that year that they come in. And pushing back the year has to be the kid's decision. It can't be the school's decision. And if the school makes that decision, you know, then the player's recruitment gets to open back up. And that's something that's kind of been abused by coaches for a while. I think you're seeing it all over college hockey where, where guys – you know, decommit, maybe there wasn't a spot for them anymore. Um, I think William Falstrom just opened up his commitment again, and he was committed to the U for a long time. He was, but it's just, you know, partial part of it is that obviously maybe we recruited him pretty early and he's not playing as well, and then so we just kind of delay it, but uh, and then the kid gets frustrated and leaves. Or, you know, you've got the situations too where, you know, kids are scheduled to come in, and then all of a sudden, you maybe you get a, a, a late signing from somebody who's really good, and all of a sudden, ah, we're going to delay a year, and and that kind of sticks it to the player and makes them angry. So it's there's just a lot of variables here, and it's who knows where we're going to go with it. So who knows? Any last thoughts on this kind of young recruiting hammy? What what can we do? Is there anything we can do? Can we change anything, or is it just going to kind of keep festering for a few more years? I just think that you you have to have some kind of legislation by the NCAA on an age limit on when you can actually, you know, verbally offer a scholarship or any kind of thing for to a kid. Um, I think that that would help it. I think that you know you're not you're always going to have coaches try to find some kind of loophole to get around things or whatever and you know as long as you don't have it legislated you know by the ncaa and they'll they'll always try to if it, these gentlemen's agreements and all this kind of verbal baloney it's like even though and i'm gonna be honest with you, the ones that even the ones that say that they're for the the gentleman's agreement will find loopholes for like oh well we just don't you know poach from you know our fellow conference schools but we'll have an open game against other conferences for their recruits. You know, it's like, that's BS. there's, but that's the way, that's the mentality though. The mentality. And that's is that, something. And that's something I heard at the CAC is those coaches aren't going to poach from within themselves, but Hey, you know, if there's a kid committed to a big 10 or hockey school, you know, maybe they'd have a different perspective. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, well, either you're for it or you're not. You know, it's like if you're going to just kind of have these like little kind of asterisks for when it's okay to do it, it's like, well, then you're basically saying you're not completely in agreement for it. You know what I mean? It's just so to me, it's like just throw the whole 
throw it all out. I mean, in football and basketball, they basically recruit kids until, you know, they've signed their letter of intent. And it's not like these kids in those sports crumble from the pressure or whatever. I would like to think that kids that play high school hockey or junior hockey or whatever it is are just as tough as, you know, mentally tough as football players or basketball players who, frankly, face even more attention than your typical college hockey recruit. And so it's like they can handle it. You know, hockey players can handle it. So let's just forget about this crap and let's just keep it open until letter of intent time. So basically, I think what you're saying is that let's let's get an, uh, a minimum age and then it's a free-for-all and get rid of this damn gentleman's agreement, huh? Well, like I said earlier, I don't think it's just the gentleman's agreement. I think that that's a big contributor. I think, like I said, it's also coaches using the Canadian juniors as an excuse. You know, like, oh, well, we got to throw our offers in, you know, before these Canadian juniors sweep these kids away from us. I think that's a part of it. I certainly think that the lack of any kind of real hard guidelines from the NCAA on when you can actually offer a scholarship to a kid, I think that's a part of it. Um, There's just a lot of, you know, there's a lot of contributing factors, but I do think um, the gentleman's agreement has played a significant role in the last, like, say, 10 years. It definitely has. Um, It's just, you know, you see... You know, when a big school like Minnesota starts looking at these 13- and 14-year-olds, um, even though other schools were after them, it's going to be a story, and that's exactly what it was. And um, Everyone's going to say, oh, bad Minnesota, bad Minnesota. But like you said, <laughs> a lot of other schools are doing the exact same thing. It's just you hear about it because Minnesota got the two kids. So, Bingo. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, they're right, and, you know – it's it's just it's just a slippery slope, and we, we we do need some clear definitions from the NCAA. Who knows if we'll ever get that? Because the powers that be might prevent that from happening, or do their best to prevent that from happening. So it's it's just a big game. I, I'm not really sure there's much we can do about it, but it's a great topic to talk about, which is why I wanted to talk about it. And I knew we didn't have time last week to talk about it because we had so much we were busy about last week, but. Uh, so any other final thoughts? I mean, you know, you know, we've talked about the recruiting thing. That's kind of goofy. We've talked about how, you know, this is a key weekend no matter how early it is in the season because it's a, it's, it's a conference game, and obviously the conference is a little different this year, a little more, a little more powerful with Notre Dame coming in and, and being a quality squad. So, uh, uh, Viggs, any final thoughts on this weekend? I think it will be interesting to see what kind of crowd we get. You know, we have our first Sunday game that had to happen because Gopher football got flexed to that night spot against Michigan State, which forces the game to move to Sunday. Um, you know, Penn State's one of those schools that fans have been slow to embrace. Season ticket sales are down this year for the U. Um, so looking at that crowd and how many empty seats are there, it will be something to watch for. They were definitely doing some special packages, you know, via the ticket office and things like that, and like a four-pack and with – hot dogs and drinks and stuff like that. So they are definitely trying to get some of those empty seats filled. I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, we talk about uh, how many no-shows there are. Um, I'm kind of wondering how many tickets are available this weekend, not just no-shows. It's kind of, it'll be frightening to see, Haviz, because uh, it hasn't looked good. And your stories on, you know, season ticket usage and people not showing up is uh, hopefully somebody at the U is listening to this because, uh, 
Um, we know that we know the hockey people at the U know what's going on. They're trying to do their best, but it's really the people above them that need to pay attention to all this. Yeah, I was kicking around some ideas. I know Duluth is having the same issues where they have people who buy tickets and, and don't use them. Um, I've got some data from them that I'll be sharing at some point here this winter uh, about their ticket usage as well. And some ideas potentially to get people to show up. I, I think you know the ticket office needs to create um, some energy. Uh, they dropped their third-party um, company that they were working with on tickets this year. So they're trying to do it in-house uh, and influence people to show up. So I know they've, they've done a lot more public things with football as far as food and beverage and the game day experience. I think they're a little bit slower on hockey. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how many people do show up. And Nate Wells is telling us that Sunday sales are lacking right now. So the, I think they're worried about Sunday afternoon, and I would be too. I mean, uh, you switch that game. Um, if it was already a tough sell in the first place because of Penn State, and obviously we know Penn State is good, but still Penn State's new and it's not a big name for hockey. Um, I think Sunday's the big concern is uh, season ticket holders not showing up because uh, the Vikings are playing the Packers. And that's yeah, just, I mean that's that, just a exactly. fact. Exactly. I mean, I mean, it's it's NFL. I mean, let's be honest. The NFL is basically another part of Sunday religion. You know what I mean? It's it like um, to to have any kind of a game on a Sunday during NFL season is going to be a tough one. Even if the fan bases might be a little bit different, it's still going to be a pretty healthy portion of the, that fan base that's going to be like. Yeah, I kind of want to watch the NFL. It's once a week, you know what I mean? It is, so. and, it's, and it's the Packers. It's the biggest game, and you know, obviously, it's it, it's a home game for them. So, um, you know, I think Sunday's going to be a tough sell. It could be an empty place, uh, but one could be a lot of traffic as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get down there before the Vikings game. Don't be late because I believe you know the game's at three. Vikings game's at noon, so you should be at Mariucci before the Vikings game gets out. You should not have traffic problems. Um, but the good thing is that the games will be on FSN. You'll be able to see TV this weekend. We'll be able to see um, that Casey Middlestead kid, and hopefully he'll light it up for us. Um, every week I add uh, the, the audio that Vigo captures of Media Day. Um, Vigo, what are we going to hear this week? Uh, you'll hear about Eric Shearhorn and a little bit of his offseason and, and how he's changed his game for this year. Uh, you'll hear Lee Embrostad. Uh, talk about the struggles last weekend and what the team needs to do to to play a little bit more solid. And you'll hear Don Lucia recap the weekend and preview Penn State. He talks a lot about how when Penn State joined the Big Ten, he was one of the people that said it's not going to take these guys long. You know, in college hockey, you just need two or three recruiting classes to get right into it. And when you get $100 million, um, a 6,000-seat arena that's sold out with fans packing the seats, it's an easy sell when you're, you know, next to Michigan and Ontario and uh, you have the name brand of Penn State. Yeah, well, we'll have to see. We're hoping all the crowd will show up this weekend and we're hoping that the Gophers play well. I'm going to predict a sweep. I know, shocking, right, guys? Uh, we'll just have to see. But, you know, we'll be back next week and uh, we'll recap this uh, Penn State series and then we're going to preview North Dakota. Thanks for listening.
joke with Brian about who keeps stats in, uh, in State College, but it seems like somebody's got 55 shots every time you play these guys. Well, that, that's just part of their philosophy is uh, shoot from anywhere. And um, so it's incumbent on our goaltender to be ready. It's incumbent upon our defensemen to make sure we do a really good job boxing out because, uh, you know, they do. They come out firing. That's just that's, that's part of who they are. And, and uh, um, we have to understand that. So, you know, being clean with pucks coming out of our own zone, making sure whether it's our first or forward back and our 2D that we got to do a really good job of not giving them second shot opportunities. Do you key on a guy like Smirnoff? I mean, you see the well, you have to, Yeah, you have to be aware, but I mean, they do a really good job of, you know, activating their D. They're very involved uh, offensively, so it's going to be really important for our F2 and F3 not to get beat up the rink. So your job's not done just because not, you're not the first forward back. And, you know, they, they thrive on that too. So, you know, you're going to have to defend all five because all five guys are going to get up into the play. Five years ago, there was as much talk about, you know, Penn State being in the middle of all that potential recruiting. There was as, as much talk saying, you know, this team's going to be buried for 10 years. They're not going to be competitive. Who said that? I heard a lot of that. <laughs> From who? Not the coaches. Do I, do I have to have names? <laughs> but you, you know, they were wrong. I mean, all you had to do is all you had to do is look at how they were building the program. First of all, somebody gives them a hundred million dollars to build a rink and endow scholarships. Okay, then they build a you know six thousand seat arena and they sell it every game. Well, now it's it doesn't take rocket scientists to know that it's not going to take long. They have a good location. I mean, you drive three hundred miles radius around State College. You're on the East Coast. You're up in Ontario, Toronto. You know, you're in Michigan. Um, so you, you're in, in Pennsylvania. Hockey's really improving. Um, you know, now that they're in the Big Ten, they can come into Minnesota and, 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 and get kids. So their their footprint. Uh, everybody's heard of Penn State. I mean, you can go up into British Columbia. You can go up into Edmonton, and uh, because of football, I mean, everybody's heard of Penn sure. State. So they, they did it the right way, and uh, it was just there was. Uh, two or three years in recruiting now is all you need because I mean, in many cases you don't have seniors anyway so yeah. you know it, you could see them getting better every year um, you know they built it early with some transfers that cycled out they built it with some older kids um, and now I think you, they've developed into a very strong program like we all, I think we all anticipated they would there's that theory that fans are going to really start to latch on to these big 10 rivalries with Epic games, and you guys had one in the tournament last year. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the games we've had, I mean, sometimes you can just complain to complain. And, um, you know, I, I can go back and say the way things were in the Iron Range in the 70s versus the way they are now. It's a little bit different, but it's, it's the way things are. And, and so it's the new reality, and I think it's critical that we all embrace where we're at today. Uh, the, the programs that we have are, you know, have all been very strong in hockey over years. They're all invested in their hockey programs at Notre Dame coming in. So uh, we got four teams that played in the NCAA a year ago out of seven. Um, Wisconsin just missed out. You know? uh, Michigan State won a national title 10 years ago. You know, Michigan played for one, what, five years, six years ago. You know, so they'll cycle back and um, it, it's just going to be become, I believe, a real bear of a league. And I think you're going to see some of that this year with, with I think every team um, will be, every game is going to be really competitive this year. I, I just don't think you're going to see anybody, you know, run away with the league. I think you'll end up probably seeing a lot of splits, a lot of weekends. 
Eric Shearhorn approaching his 77th consecutive start, going to be go for record. Is what does that say about him? Is just like his well, durability. durability. Uh, knock on wood, is one. Um, you know, he's a very competitive kid. The one thing I've always liked about Eric is, and the players love him. His teammates do, and they want to play for him. Uh, and Eric struggles in a game. You can pretty much count on that he'll be really good the next game. And I think that's part of his, you know, mental makeup and competitiveness that he brings to the rink each and every day. And, you know, he worked really hard this summer um, at his craft uh, with, with goaltending instructors, which he didn't do the summer before. And I think we've seen that in his game early on that he's a little bit quieter. Now he's still going to, you know, at times, because he's so competitive, be a little bit of a street hockey goalie. But, you know, he's much more square to pucks um, than what I saw in his previous two years. And I think because he's, he's athletic, he can make those saves. You know, the, when he continues to really quiet his game down, that he can go to another level. When you got Bristad here, were you sure he was going to become the kind of team leader he is? Now? You, you know what, Leon's been great, and uh, you know he, he. A lot of Europeans they've played over here. You know, Eric Hollow played over here. A lot of you know kids played over. They don't come directly from Finland or, or Sweden very often. The Euros, and Eric did. So he had a transition. You, you know, you're dealing with language. You're dealing with. Uh, you know, homesickness or a girl back, girlfriend from back there that you're trying to, with eight-hour time changes, be able to, to, to talk to. But, you know, uh, when I think of Leon's, I mean, nobody works harder practice. Um, I, I think when they see that, his work ethic each and every day, how hard he wants to get, how much he wants to get better, he stays after practice. Um, he's a really good student. He's, he's inquisitive. He's always asking questions. So that's how he learns. You know, everybody's a little bit different. So, you know, with Leon, he's going to have eight questions that, you know, he wants to know why. And uh, he's just, he's, he's fun to be around. And, uh, you know, he, he, he's still learning. Like, we had a captain's meeting, and I, I forget the word I used, but he didn't understand what I meant. Um, and then I was talking to him about his girlfriend. You know, see me, let me see a picture of your girlfriend. I said, asked him if he all kicked his coverage. <laughs> he, he didn't understand what that meant. <laughs> so it's kind of fun, you know, sometimes to, you know, you, you deal with that. But then when I explained, had one of the other guys explain to him, he got a good chuckle out of that. So he goes, yeah, I would kick my coverage. <laughs> you had someone else do it. For yeah, you. yeah, yeah. Well, that's a football analogy. Yeah, you needed a hockey analogy, but... Um, yeah, I, I forget the word I used today, and he, he didn't grasp that English, what it, what it really meant. But um, Leon, you just consistent effort. Um, just he's a dog on a puck, and just I, I really enjoy being around him. He's a fun kid to be around. Do you put Friday's film in the archive and focus on Saturday? No, we didn't. We, the, the Friday's film was very much in play Saturday morning. I can promise you that. Um, but again, you know, it, it's early, and, and uh, it was interesting that um, you know Scotty Bell showed me the, the uh, quote from Mike Sullivan after the first couple of days, you know, trying to get across the guys that you know this is not a f one big flow drill right now. We're back in season. That's kind of how our, our, I felt our guys played, especially up front. That. You know, we didn't play as competitive, competitively as we needed to. And, and uh, uh, you know, it showed what chances. And uh, even though we didn't play great, I thought we had a chance to win the game or tie a game. And I think as much as we, we, we didn't play great and took too many penalties, um, but we had a chance. And even heading into overtime, you, you got to come up with a tie. I mean, you just don't make a couple of colossal mistakes that we made by older guys at that point in the game. I think that's 
that's probably what disappointed me more than anything that you know you find a way to you know you're three three heading into overtime and then you just kind of give it away with a couple you know poor decisions but that's the learning process that uh, you have to go through and you know summer hockey's over and you know things are a lot more competitive now mentioned after Saturday's game that you kind of wanted to get Casey and some of the other freshmen in, on the penalty kill. Is that still kind of playing? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, we're going to, we don't have anything set on who's going to necessarily play, but, you know, he, he get a five-minute major and, you know, it's too long for him to sit on the sit and watch. You know, one of the things we did last weekend, though, was, you know, his line was the first out after every penalty kill, so they got back into the flow, but, you know, I mean, he, He's got to get his minutes. I mean, you saw this weekend, you know, he's a pretty special player. And I thought even Rem from Friday to Saturday, Rem was really good on Saturday, uh, both real impactful players. So we just we got to get some of the older forwards to play better than what they did last weekend. I think that certainly we've seen that they can. And, um, you know, it's, you can't rely on, you know, freshmen to carry the mail. you got to have the older guys do it. Conference play starting earlier this year compared to the Which past good. four. Yeah, I, I like it. I, I like that. I, I never really – like the fact that you play, you know, Winstar Conference till Thanksgiving. It's nice to, you know, play some conference games, then go back to a non-conference game, and you know they're mixed in throughout the year a little bit more than you know, only having 20 league games. It was limiting, and and um, when you when we're going to play those conference games, it's always after Thanksgiving to begin with. So I'm, I'm glad we're starting them in October now. Did you pick up any injuries during the last weekend? The- Come and play this weekend? No, um, not not as of today. That uh, you know, we still we're hopeful that you know everybody that you know, could play last weekend will be available this weekend. Uh, Ryan Lindgren, what's your balance between his tenacity and trying to keep him out of the penalty box? How do you juggle that one? <laughs> it was it, it, the old time and distance. Um, you know. I thought it was kind of a tough call when I watched the video. Um, you know, his hands were down, he came in and hit. But as I told him, I mean, if you think of, we've all been around hockey enough that one major's called on one team. Well, you know, with the old marbles, you yep. know. And, and I said, you know, we're up 2 nothing. There's 12 minutes to go in the game. You, you really don't need a big hit like that to, you know, is it a major, is it not a major, you know, was it two, was it not two. Um, I mean, it was. I, I don't think I've seen a major called on that situation before, where they huddled together when nobody made a made a call to begin with. But they did. To our guys' credit, we killed it off. But uh, not just Ryan in general, but we had far too many penalties. I mean, we had. I mean, even the Duluth game, we had good three, four minutes to start the game, and then boom, take two penalties, hookings, you know, holdings, 15 seconds apart, and now you're down. Now you're chasing the game, and. Uh, we, we can't take six, seven penalties each game, uh, and so we have to do a better job with our discipline and moving our feet and not reaching with our hands or reaching with our stick uh, and take those type of penalties. So, you know, it would be nice if we get back to, you know, three or four penalty kills a game and not spending, you know, 12, 14 minutes on the kill. There was one of those calls in the Duluth game, too, where they didn't call anything. Initially, they went to the review and major. Is that something they're trying to take out of college hockey? Well, big I think, hits. yeah, well, I don't know if the big hit they're trying to do, but, I mean, there's obviously sensitivity to, you know, getting hit in the head. Um, you know, and I even looked at that one. I, I can't tell if the guy got hit in the head or they hit helmets or what. I just know that already end up, you know, hitting here. I just, I mean, 
when Ryan got the extra game last year, his hand, arm was up. And, you know, obviously you can't go into a guy with your elbow up and hit him in the head because that's not what we're trying to do. But I think college hockey is always trying to, you know, protect the player, uh, especially along the boards or, or, again, those open ice hits when um, your hands are up. Like my junior got hit the day before uh, against Duluth in the middle of the rink, and that was a clean hit. You know, his head was down, and you know what? You don't want to dangle in the middle of the rink with your head down. Not a good idea. So um, I, I didn't think there should be a penalty just because it's a big hit doesn't necessarily mean it's a penalty. Um, but, you know, you got to learn. you got to understand the, the time of the game. You know, it's one thing in the first period you're trying to establish how you want to play, and it's another late in the game when you're ahead. Does it, I mean, in terms of the, the durability it takes, though, I mean, I know it's just a, uh, a record, but uh -huh. just the way if you stop and think about 78 in a row, what, you know, what that signifies. Yeah, um, I mean, it definitely does signify durability. Uh, it's a little easier in college than uh, in pro and juniors, but um, I'm just happy that uh, Don's stuck with me, and, uh, you know, I, I feel really good, so it's good. Start the season out on the road. What's going to be like to come back to Mariucci? What's that atmosphere like in the first home game of the season? Yeah, I, I mean, I can't wait. Um, it's actually it's fun playing on the road in hostile environments. It really is, um, but it's also fun having your fans behind you, and especially fans in in Mariucci. So uh, we're we're all psyched for that. You like the idea of conference games this early? I know that hasn't been the case for the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I don't really care when we play them. Um, they're the same thing whether they're now or whether they're. Uh, early December, second half of the year. You, you got to start winning them. What are you guys looking to build off from last week? Uh, I think the big message is getting pucks behind uh, opposing teams D and going to work on our forecheck. Um, we don't want to be too much of an East-West team, fancy play. I mean, we got skill, but but we also got to work too. So I think that was a big message. Four regular season wins against Penn State, and then you had that multi-overtime in the playoffs. What, what do you think facing them again? Um, you know, they, they got a lot of returning guys. I know that. Um, and they shoot a lot and they work hard. So we kind of know what they're bringing. Um, so I'm sure our coaches are working to combat that with the game plan. And um, like you said, we beat them four times last year. So, you know, it's but they were tough tests. So it's not going to be any easy game. That high shot volume, what are the keys for you to have a good weekend? Rebound control. Rebound control is the biggest thing. Um, they they step inside the blue line, they fire it on you, and they're looking for rebounds. So um, I think if I can just suck everything up or put everything to the corner, uh, I think it makes it more difficult for them to create offense. So I, I think that's key for for me and, and to help our team defense. How about your game? Are you doing anything tactically different this year? Do you have a different approach at all compared to um, I just think the summer of work, I just feel more fundamentally sound. And I think I look like it, too, just watching video from the first three appearances now. And, and I can feel it in practice, too. And just it's, it's a lot of body position. I'm not uh, all over the place. I still have that athletic aspect. But at the same time, I'm, I'm just in control and, and making saves where otherwise in the previous two years, I might have made them look a little more difficult. They're a little more routine now. You just touched on it, but you beat them four times last year. Did the double overtime loss stick with you guys? That would motivate you a little bit? Uh, I mean, yeah, that one hurts. We're not going to forget about that one. Uh, Big Ten tournament knocked us out. But, uh, I mean, it's a new year. we we, we got to put that one past us, and just like we got to put the four wins past us. And, I mean, it's a clean slate.
about the ups and downs of last weekend. <clears throat> how, how difficult was that to go to, to start the year as, uh, on Friday as you did and after mm -hmm. rebound? Was, was uh, disappointment? How disappointing was Friday? Oh, it was really disappointing. I mean, we uh, two leads in the third period. Um, uh, and we blew them. That, that never feels good, but you have to have a short memory in this game, and I think we did. Uh, I think we reset going into Saturday, and I think that showed, um, whether it was on the shots or um, just overall scoring chances. We just played a lot better as a team um, on Saturday, and, that, and that's the way we need to play. I think it was a good wake-up call on Friday? Yeah, I think it was. I think it uh, showed that you know we got talent, but we still got to work hard. I think it was a good lesson. State four times last year, and then they got you in the Big Ten tournament. Did, did the loss stick with you more than the wins in that? I mean, looking back at it now, that's that's what I remember. And they won the most important game, and that was a Big Ten, um, Big Ten game there. So obviously, uh, we have some revenge for this weekend, and uh, we're really excited. You end up, you start the uh, conference play earlier. <laughs> the past uh, three years, you've had to uh, wait. Uh, do you like it? Is it different? No, I like it. You know, we get thrown in it right away, and uh, I, it's good. I mean, I, I obviously I don't think too much about it, but uh, it's nice to mix in some conference right away. Um, and also, you can you can play those auto conference games a little later into the season as well. So it's always nice to mix it up a little bit, and I think it's it makes makes ourselves alert. What are some of the takeaways for you from the first weekend, and especially your line? Uh, so personally, our line um, obviously not good enough. Um, I think the expectations we should have on ourselves and other people should have on us uh, should be high. And we did not um, score or produce as much as we wanted. Um, not only we didn't put the puck in net, but we had too many uh, mistakes and uh, we didn't play good enough defensively. So I think coming into this week and for, for all those three, um, both Ty, Tom, and me, we know we, we know we can do a lot better. And we're really excited to go into this weekend and try to prove everyone else, and our, especially ourselves, that uh, what, what type of players we are. How much will you think about like the start you had Friday night at UMD and just getting off to a, a better better start this weekend? Uh, it's big, you know. We didn't for some reason we didn't play well uh, against Luth, and uh, that has been the case a couple of times here. No, but uh, you know we can only look forward, and I think. Uh, the game against Union was a step in the right direction for sure. Uh, we came out much harder. We played way better defensively, and it was a completely different energy. Uh, for those of you who watched it, I think you could tell the difference. Um, we felt we felt, and we seemed to play like a team out there. And uh, what I really liked is that we had some young guys contributing. Uh, you know, Ram and Casey and um, uh, Reed. It was really good. Um, I think they were carrying. They carried us uh, through that game. So I'm excited. It just shows that. Uh, we had three lines, we had four lines. The blue line was great too. So the, everyone can produce and everyone can score. And now it's all about you know getting consi getting consistent and uh, keep building. Don talked a lot about puck management on Friday and Saturday nights. How do you adjust from summer hockey to, to live action with decision making? Well, it's hard, but um, I mean, we should look at ourselves as professional hockey players, and that's what we should expect out of ourselves. Uh, we got to make sure we come to the rink every day and uh, work on our habits. And even before season starts, we should get away from summer hockey mode. Uh, it's hard, but as I said, we have to do it. Does it influence your play to be more conservative at the start of the game going into this weekend? Uh, due to what you mean? With your decision making, you know, when to 
wouldn't make a play and control the entry versus dump it and get on the forecheck? Not really. I wouldn't say so. You know, you have everything back in, back in your head. You play. You just play with it by instinct. Maybe think a little bit more about being careful early in the game around the blue lines and uh, play a little more straight type of hockey, especially when you have a new, new group of guys and uh, everyone haven't really learned the system yet. So maybe then you have to play a little bit more conservative. But for me personally, um, you know, I just try to play the right way. Play smart. Uh, be a leader. Um, sure, show show the team and everyone around what, what the Gopher way is. Some thoughts on Eric Sherhorn, his consecutive game streak and what it means to you guys you know, as a team to have an Ironman back there who's uh, as durable as he is? Yeah, I mean, he's unbelievable. Uh, I think I saw a stat. He has the most starts in Big Ten now. I'm not sure if that's correct, but I think so. And I mean, he's, he's been unbelievable for us the three years he's been here. Uh, and it brings confidence to our team. You know, We didn't play a really good uh, defensive game up there in Duluth. But he, he bailed us out, and he was the reason we, we ended up with overtime. Um, so he's good. Uh, I think Robson is going to be a really good addition to our team, make sure everyone is alert and gives Eric some competition and the other three goalies. But um, as I said, Eric is a great guy and even a better goalie. What's his demeanor off the ice? What's he, he like? He's kind of funny. Um, he, would, uh, he will sit quiet, and I will... Uh, throw out a little fun, fun or unexpected comment every once in a while and uh, he's a really fun guy to be around I uh, always smiles and uh, especially easy to be around so definitely a guy you want uh, around your group and around your team It was like seeing a guy like Tyler Nanny who had to sit out last year uh, get his uh, first games in last weekend I'm super excited for Nanny uh, Nanny said he haven't played a game for 900 some game or some 900 some days um, so I can't imagine how it felt for him to play Obviously, it's it's normal if you're a little out of shape or um, you know timing's not always there. But I, I think he played really well. I mean, we all have some some stuff we have to correct, but he blocked shots and he played hard, and everything else will come to him. He's a smart player. What are the most important things you could do to help make your Horton's job a little easier? Uh, you know, I think it's coming together as a group. Uh, coming down and uh, make sure we play within our system and uh, everyone has to do their role. We have to play better in front of our net and uh, as someone you guys said, we have to clean up. We, we're losing too many pucks around the blue lines, too many turnovers and that in turn creates a lot of uh, um, odd man rushes. So, I mean, I don't think once we're in our zone we have a lot of trouble, but what kills us at this point or what, what has been killing us the last couple of years are, are all the turnovers. And that's usually where Eric has to come up and make those big saves. Tommy Novak, after his injury last year, to see him back out on the ice and to be playing with him again, what's that like? Uh, it's, I'm happy. Uh, I'm excited to have Tommy by my side. Well, we played together a lot uh, sophomore year, and we obviously had some chemistry there. So hopefully we can build on that. Um, I think you know Tommy was having, wasn't on the ice for probably six months. So as everyone else, he has he still has a lot of work to do in, in order to get back you know, where he can play. But um, I'm not worried at all. Tommy has probably, probably the most skillful guy on our team, or at least top two, top three. Unbelievable hands and really good uh, playmaking ability, and I'm sure you're going to see a lot of that this year.